0: All right, and welcome everyone to this edition of the National CMB Foundations podcast, where our mission is to educate women of childbearing age about congenital CMB with the vision of eliminating congenital CMB in the U.S. for the next generation. We are super excited about today's episode. Um, As you all are aware, a lot of our work centers around CMB research advocacy and educational efforts. And we are super excited to have a special guest with us today, Dr. Sally Permar, who is also a board member for the National CMB Foundation, really speak about CMB in the face of COVID-19. However, before we jump right into today's session, I would be remiss if I did not honor and recognize my phenomenal co-host. So Shane, you can go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: I like how you change my uh my uh, every adjective time. every time. I really appreciate every that. Time phenomenal, (laughs) charming, handsome, all the above.
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: Keep going. I love it. No, just kidding. Hi everyone. My name is Shane Gaffney. Uh, Nice to be here again today and welcome Sally. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you so much. And so, For those who may not be aware of Dr. Sally Permar and her work in the CMV space, again, we're super honored to have her here. She is a board member with the National CMV Foundation. She is a physician and an associate dean and professor of pediatrics, immunology, and molecular genetics and microbiology at Duke University School of Medicine. And so we will just jump right in into today's conversation, Sally. Um, just tell, tell the listeners a little bit about how you became involved in the CMV space and got interested in CMV research.
2: Yeah. Well, um, I really came to CMV and understanding what a vast problem it was really in my training in pediatric infectious diseases. And it was surprising to me to see how common this congenital infection was because I had gone through medical school Um, you know, three years of pediatrics training. And I don't think I really, you know, understood how common the infection really was and that it really was the leading infectious cause of birth defects and brain damage until I was seeing it myself in the clinic um, where we had specialty clinics for uh, mothers and children who had complicated infections. And there was actually a specific um, neonatal uh, infection clinic that this was at Boston Children's Hospital. And every session was pretty much filled with kids who had a um, concern or um, a diagnosis of congenital CMV. As an HIV vaccine researcher interested in preventing mother-to-child transmission of HIV. and um, But seeing all these children affected by CMV, it made me start to ask, well, who's working on this vaccine? What, what still needs to be done um, in terms of making a CMV vaccine? And I found that there was still a lot to learn, a lot of unknowns with uh, what types of immune responses we need to elicit from a CMV vaccine and how that will work uh, to prevent the infection. And so decided to throw my hat in the ring of studying CMV and how we can best prevent it through uh, immune responses elicited by a vaccine.
1: Uh, We had Laurie Panther on the podcast uh, last time. So she works at Moderna and we actually had a whole dissertation from her about uh, vaccines and they're doing it in a synthetic way, I guess, if you want to call that using RNA to elicit that same response. What do you think about their whole approach? Is that what you guys are using in your clinic too, or at least not in your clinic, but in your research?
2: Yeah. So I... um actually work close with Moderna, um, oh, cool. the company that Lori is from, in h- helping advise them on their pursuit of a vaccine. And actually, in my own research, I'm also using a similar type of vaccine to what uh, Moderna is using as well. And um, what I've been impressed with from the Moderna vaccine approach is um, they can elicit very high levels of neutralizing antibodies.
3: hmm
2: with their vaccine. And neutralizing antibodies in general for viral vaccines is the holy grail. That is the type of response that we think and, and that in most cases does prevent a viral infection. It's the exact type of response that's being chased for the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, for example. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, what what's Moderna has shown is that their vaccine can elicit a very strong neutralizing antibody response against CMV. And that's different um, than even natural infection. Because one thing that's so challenging about uh, the CMV vaccine is that natural immunity after a natural infection is not protective against another infection. And that makes it challenging. Uh, So their vaccine is interesting in that it elicits a response that is higher magnitude and different than just uh, infection itself. Interesting. So
1: that's something else. i have going a little bit off topic now, but a lot of the research I've read is a little bit conflicting. Where if a mother had CMV, she can't then pass it on to her new onto her developing fetus. Is that true or is that false?
2: So that's not true, not and that's true. actually another thing that makes this vaccine so challenging. And and we actually uh, only came to that realization maybe in the last twenty years or so, where. Mostly, uh, researchers thought of congenital CMV similar to that of rubella, where if you have an infection with rubella, you are immune for the rest of your days for the most part. Um, For CMV, we thought it would be similar, where only those women who had never had a CMV infection before would be at risk of transmitting it to their fetus, Mm -hmm. much like in, in how rubella was transmitted to fetuses. But um, what actually is true is that even women that have had CMV previously, they can still pass the virus to their baby. However, one thing that we're studying very closely is um, what is the impact of the existing immunity that a woman has who has had CMV in the past? What is the impact of that immune response on her chance of passing the virus to the baby? hmm it's an important question for vaccines because it can teach us something about what are the protective immune responses and the, those that we should try to enhance through vaccination. Uh, but it also it creates a big challenge in that throughout most of the world, most women are positive when they come to pregnancy. Right. And uh, it's only in developed countries, really, do we have women that remain um, without infection as, as late as uh, a time as they're coming to childbearing age. Sure. And so um, that means that most of the congenital CMB in the world is in women who have prior immunity. And so when we develop a vaccine that's mostly being tested in negative women, meaning women that have never had the infection, because that's where we can actually define whether you do or do not become infected. But most of the world needs a CMV vaccine that can be given to women that have already had the infection. Right. So that's that's a barrier that the vaccine will need to get over.
1: That's fascinating. Have you um, had any issues or have anything changed in this world of CNV research since COVID-19 came about?
2: Yeah. So um, like everyone else, because of the COVID pandemic, we had to shut down our place of work. Um, which was our laboratory that's Mm -hmm. studying CMV and trying to understand the immune responses that are protective um, against CMV, we had to shut down that research. And so that everybody could social distance. And, you know, while uh, we didn't know, you know, exactly how to prevent this new virus that we were facing. um, And we also didn't know, you know, what trajectory the pandemic was taking in terms of our hospital systems, being able to handle all of those infections. And so we closed down laboratories like every everywhere else, really, um, throughout the country. And uh, But however, um, we, while we had to stop all research um, to viruses like CMV and HIV that we have going on in the lab, there was also an awareness that we needed to keep studying this new virus that, w- that had come uh, across because if we were ever gonna get back to normal uh, research on all of these many things, you know it goes beyond viruses to cancer, to um, diabetes, yeah. all diseases. Sure. We need to fight this, this new virus that we're all um, have had our lives so changed by. And so we were able to keep some research going, but only focused on the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Right. So that really put the CMB research uh, behind. And we had to shut down uh, all of our virus cultures, all of our cell lines, all of our animal studies. We even had to uh, necropsy some of our animals in the middle of a research study um, in order to, to do all the social distancing that was needed to really curb curb the initial pandemic.
1: Right. Right. Crazy.
2: Wow.
0: Crazy stuff. And so um you know, you look at all the accommodations that had to be made once COVID hit, right? On the research lab, on the research that was being conducted. And, you know, we're steadily seeing in the news, numbers are rising, numbers are rising, numbers are arising. you know, we may be headed into the second wave sooner rather than later. You know, what does that realistically mean? What does that look like? And so when we think about it within the lens of um, CMB, my question for you would be for someone watching the news and seeing this COVID-19 information, why is CMV still, is it at the forefront? Should it still be at the forefront? Why is it still important? And to leverage that a bit, you know, you wrote an amazing article for the LA Times um, in April of this year it was an op-ed entitled, um, we are losing ground on every other disease while fighting COVID-19, okay, remember that. And so, Talk to us a little bit about that, um, and you can glean some of your answers from what you shared in that piece, um, but really just curious about it. COVID continues to get visibility and publicity, and it's all in the news. You know, we don't want to lose sight on CMB, but how does it remain relevant during this time?
2: Yeah. So I think one thing that um, I and other board members have advocated for is, of course, we need to keep diagnosing treating, caring for children with congenital CMV. Because one thing that we know works, where the research is already clear, is that if you can diagnose CMV in the first month of life, and you can, a congenital infection, and you can start treatment for those children who need it, meaning the most severely affected, those that have uh, evidence of brain damage, then you are going to help that child potentially have better hearing, potentially have better development, more achievement, more uh, potential for what they're going to be able to do in life. And so we must keep those clinical aspects going and things where our research has already been proven that an antiviral started in the first month of life for those kids that, that need it for congenital CMB can uh, change their lives. Mm -hmm. So that is what we know must keep going forward. And luckily, you know, clinic and children's health operations have started to open back up and are at fairly normal levels now. Um, But we should definitely advocate for um, parents and providers to do CMB testing when it's indicated and get those children into treatment despite some of the interruptions of care. So that's one of the most important things. But secondly, um, you know, we We definitely have seen, I think, a backslide in all types of research, including CMB, because of the need to focus on this virus and because of the need to shut down a lot of operations to social distance. Mm -hmm. Um, But the good news is that we've learned uh, ways that you can prevent the infection, like wearing a mask, keeping people at least six feet apart. So we now have our laboratories opening up again with those measures in place. Uh, We have people coming in at all hours of the day now so that they can social distance and and be in lab at different times. So CMV research and other types of research has been able to start back up. But we know that uh, there's this new focus that virologists, vaccine companies, immunologists are having to put all of their, you know, um, their effort into and including Moderna. That's one of the leading uh, vaccine companies for SARS-CoV-2. So, but the point is that we must keep get this pandemic virus in check to be able to go back to our, you know, levels of, of momentum and research that we're going forward with CMB. So while we've been able to start some back up, we've got to fight this other virus that's keeping us from working at our normal levels in order to go back to the CMB research that's needed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most importantly, especially for other parents, is to kind of tell them that, you know, even though there is a larger... Player in the field right now, uh, CMV is still a very important aspect, not something to overlook. So you know, we we kind of have this thing. We are still here for the foundation, where it's true. I mean, you know, even though CNV, even though COVID nineteen is the main um, player right now, CMV is still an important thing, an important part of everything. Um, that's actually a good segue. You've spoken about a little bit, but um, obviously, like. In my case, I have experience on both ends, where I've began to return to Boston Children's Hospital for appointments for my daughter, including surgeries for a cochlear implants, which were just done uh, two weeks ago. So, um, do you have any concerns with CMB impacted families as um, you know they navigate COVID nineteen the restrictions and all the social distancing, all that stuff? Is there anything that we as parents should be aware of, or anything that you can? Um, and lighten us on.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, um, happy cochlear implants. I Thank hope you. They, um, <laughs> I hope they're working.
1: We get them activated on Thursday.
2: Oh well, great. That's, so it's going to be a, a big day. So yeah. I'm. I'm uh, I'll be thinking about you then. Thank you. Um. But yeah. So it's an important question because healthcare has changed, and I think it will be changed permanently in some yeah. ways after this pandemic one of the good things that I think is going to come out of it is more access to care through telemedicine.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And there are some visits that lend well to that. I've had some parents tell me that neurology visits lend pretty well to that, especially kids that have seizures, when really you just need to update the doctor on what's the seizure frequency been? How right. has your child's mood been? How has their activity level been? Um, you know, Do they need to change the med a little bit? So those types of visits can absolutely be done through telemedicine, and you avoid all that time driving, parking, taking your child into the a facility. So, I think that's a huge advantage. And that um, I think, yeah, so telemedicine will be a huge advantage to yeah. CNV affected families. I think one hundred percent. Shane, Shane's a believer. Have you used it?
1: Believer, I've well, <laughs> I've, I've used it in many respects. One respect has been my uh, therapies for Grace. So speech, hearing, physical, and, uh, and uh, occupational therapy. I've had to all do them through telehealth, which it's been good, but it's also, I also, I'm trained as a PT. I spent 10 years working as a PT before I made the switch to um, cycling coaching as my full-time gig. Um, so I have some experience, but I'm not as skilled as a early dimensionist would be. So it, yes and no, that has been great. But for me, I live in New Hampshire and I go to Boston Children's Hospital, which in traffic can be two hours plus parking and all that stuff. So it's literally bought me probably like 30 to 40 hours of my life back over the past three months wow. doing telehealth. Wow. And not to, you know, um, poke my doctors, but like a lot of times it's just like you said, general updates and a weight check. That's really it. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I do this over the phone or like to telehealth, you know? but yeah totally yeah. i agree with you 100 percent.
2: i was gonna say the payers are starting to to be able to catch up to that too because that was one of the issues you couldn't get paid for a telehealth visit as a physician but now that's starting to change well one thing i did want to talk about is um, when you do have to go to the hospital um, because obviously you can't do a cochlear implant over telemedicine yeah or you sure. can't get your routine vaccines through telemedicine so for those visits um, I want to encourage that we we do know a way that will prevent uh, SARS-CoV-2 infections and that's wearing a mask Mm -hmm. and so even before you get into the hospital don't wait for them to hand you a mask have one with you have one um, you know to wear on any stops you have to make on your way there uh, that you wear into the building they may hand you one to to trade out your homemade mask Um, but you know, everyone should be wearing a mask. If your child can wear a mask and can tolerate that and can understand why to wear a mask, that may even be um, appropriate. And, and masking and maintaining the six feet distance, we know those things can be effective. So um, just as a recommendation, when you do have to go to the hospital, you know, wear, wear your mask and go by all the, uh, the spacing now that they have you do yeah. for waiting in line. But, but it's there for a reason. And, and we've seen that those strategies can work. I'm going to segue
0: Sally into, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, trained in public health and I'm always wondering how can we, it's what I call like habit stacking, right? How can we do this with these viruses? Um, you know, CMV, COVID-19, both viruses. Is there any overlap, anything as far as virus transmission, risk reduction that perhaps we can all play nice in the sandbox on when it comes to increasing awareness of COVID-19 risk reduction and the same with CMV?
2: Absolutely. I think one big message from all of this is uh, public health makes a difference. And public health is absolutely necessary for us to have a productive economy
1: and Mm -hmm. productive
2: lives. And so I think I hope that what will come from this is really a golden age for public health, for vaccines, um, for an understanding that um, There are these viruses that will continue to challenge uh, us as humanity. And uh, what we have to do is use science to overcome them. And so I I do hope that there can be some co-messaging from uh, SARS-CoV-2 and also why we need a vaccine for CMV. Yeah,
1: we've spoken a lot about increased hand washing, potentially making a large difference in CMV infection rate which is, you know, something I think might be a positive to take out of this.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Even something maybe could look for in the data. The one other uh, uh, trajectory I could imagine is kids were home with their moms more frequently throughout this last Mm. year that, uh, you know, uh, toddlers could have been taken out of daycare. And we know that toddlers are a big... uh, pool of uh, CMV and, and a reservoir for CMV. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and so, you know, maybe there was more exposure for pregnant women during this time. So it will be interesting to look at the case numbers if they change.
1: It's interesting. So could go one way or the other way. That's interesting. CMV kids, do they have a higher risk of contracting COVID-19 than their counterparts?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, and I don't think one we have been able to study specifically. Mostly, that will be, I think, a challenge to study because we haven't seen that many kids who have symptomatic infection with SARS-CoV-2. They are still less than 2%, I think, of all the cases that have been reported in the US. And we know that the US has uh, almost the top number of cases throughout the world. Um, And that's been consistent across other countries as well, that children are not presenting with acute infection. but those children who have had severe infections, um, they can have other uh, comorbidities um, or other types of diseases that they struggle with as well. Um, sure. And so some of the things that have been identified as uh, h- higher risk are children that struggle with diabetes, obesity, um possibly uh, some lung disease, although, you know, interestingly, even though this is a respiratory virus, uh, children with lung disease do not seem to be the majority of children who are um, coming down with symptomatic infection, like kids with asthma, don't seem to be overrepresented. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. And, and one thing that my research is digging into with um, SARS-CoV-2 in children is why are children um, sort of able to avoid severe infection? Um, in the, for the most part, and how, how are they different than adults who are succumbing to a severe lung infection? And is it something about the immune response? Is it something about pediatric uh, lung cells that's different than adult lung cells? And so those are the types of questions we're trying to ask to understand how is it that children mostly um, can avoid severe infection um, when they're first uh, come in contact with the virus? This is very
0: interesting. I feel like, um, you know, you you listen to this, you listen to various researchers and coming from a public health background. You know, I think we have to be, you know, as harsh or as difficult as it is to say this, okay, with knowing that we just don't know how some things are going to pan out. I mean, this is still a very novel virus. It it seems like it's morphing every week. Numbers are increasing, and so it really unfortunately will be some type of watchful waiting to see how this impacts us on a whole. So, um, you know, kudos to you and your research. I think a lot of really great things are gonna come out of this dismal place we're in, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, Shane, did you wanna add anything to that?
1: No, I think really just interested in um, just going back to CMB and research on your end what kind of things were you working on or were you hoping to work on this year for CMB research that you didn't get a chance to?
2: Yeah, Um, we have a number of studies underway for uh, CMB that I'm really excited about. Um, One uh, that is a culmination of a group that came together, gosh, maybe three or four years ago, we started working together and it's a group of researchers throughout the country and actually international also, we even have some colleagues in Germany and we are using cool. a non-human primate model, so a monkey model of congenital CMB infection, where we can infect a monkey who has never been infected with the monkey version of CMB before. And mm-hmm. uh, we can we can uh, find that they can pass the virus on to their fetuses as well. So we can infect them during pregnancy and then see the virus in, in the fetus. And this mm-hmm. is a great model because course uh, the monkeys are um, have very similar physiology and immunology uh, responses as humans um, it, but we can also uh, do interventions with the uh, primates that we would never be able to do in humans like we can give them um, certain vaccines and see how that may prevent the infection we can give mm-hmm. them certain uh, kinds of viruses where we have maybe removed certain portions of the CMV virus to see, does that disable the virus from being able to infect the fetus? And so we can ask all these questions that, again, you wouldn't be able to do in humans. And um, we, again, started meeting three or four years ago. Uh, we got funding about a year ago. And the um, primate breeding cycle for the rhesus monkeys that we use only comes around once a year. And so COVID hit kind of right when we started rolling <laughs> with our infections <laughs> of the pregnant monkeys. Luckily we, we got a few done, um, but we did have to stop some of those. And um, so I will be looking forward to hopefully a full season of um, infections yeah, right. in those pregnant monkeys and learning a lot Very about cool. the vaccine.
1: So going back to your coronavirus work and research, do you think children will be included in the coronavirus vaccine? research too?
2: That's a good question and one that um, I am certainly advocating for, that even though um, children are less susceptible to that acute disease um, or lung disease after infection um, compared to adults, uh, we know that some have landed in the hospital, even there have been some deaths from the infection. But then Mm -hmm. also what was interesting is kids also can develop this inflammatory syndrome Called the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, uh, which is a rare but when you have so many infections going on, becomes uh, something that that we can see with some frequency. Is this inflammatory disease that can also be very severe and can land a child in the hospital. And so I do think that kids should uh, be eventual recipients of a coronavirus vaccine. And mm-hmm. what's great about um, kids being the recipient of the vaccine is that they are very good at getting their vaccines. So um, pediatricians are very good at giving out vaccines. And we have a very um, uh, well-described vaccine schedule in children that doesn't exist in adults. It's very hard to get high coverage of a vaccine in adult populations. It's even hard in adolescent populations. And something that we'll actually face with the CMV vaccine, Uh, much like the HPV vaccine, which is a very safe, very effective vaccine, has only gotten to about half of teenagers who need it. So, uh, so one way to get a vaccine um, to be more frequently given in a population is to make it a pediatric vaccine, and so I do think eventually a coronavirus vaccine should be developed for children, and uh, that kids could be a target of that vaccine, could also be a target uh, for a CMV vaccine earlier in um, in life in a child, a child. Uh, also, to to piggyback on getting that high coverage of a vaccine that you do achieve in a pediatric vaccine schedule.
0: Okay, so we have discussed um, coronavirus, CMV vaccines, CMV patient appointments during coronavirus, um, some things that parents should be aware of. And So as we're wrapping up June, which everyone should know is CMV Awareness Month, uh, what is the take-home message you would want to send to our listeners at the end of this episode, whether it be about CMV in the face of COVID 19 or CMV research in general?
2: Yeah, um, I just want to make sure the listeners and the CMV parents and the CMV affected families out there know that we are not dropping CMV research. That while we've hit a little bump in the road here with this um, very now common uh, coronavirus that is throughout the entire world and impacting all of our lives, um, we have not forgotten about the importance of ending congenital CMV. And so um, we are pushing forward on research. Um, I know that uh, while Moderna is busy putting out a SARS CoV 2 vaccine, they are also uh, keeping their CMV program at, at a top priority, as you heard last week from Lori. Um, and so just know that um, we know that fighting CMV is important for the long term uh, to achieve the, the highest potential in children. Uh, universally. So we hope that no child will be affected by CMV or if children are affected by CMV, that we can prevent the disease that they um, can can display from the infection. So we are uh, still pushing on CMV, a CMV vaccine, and uh, identifying the best treatments for kids with CMV.
1: Cheers to that.
0: Uh, so thank you so much for your time today. We truly appreciate all the knowledge and wisdom you shared with us and thank you for joining us. Thank you to
3: y'all too.